Hello and welcome to Value Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and today I'm joined by Dr. Mudasa Iqbal to discuss the data science behind large language models or LLMs. Mudasa is the founder and CEO of TeamSolve, a company dedicated to leveraging AI for digital transformation with a sustainable focus. He has extensive experience in industrial AI, including multiple patents, and was recognized as an MIT Young Innovator. He has also played a key role in the growth of his previous startup, Vicenti, and its subsequent acquisition by Xylem Inc. Midasa, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Genevieve. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great to have you. I love ChatGPT. Not so much because of what it can do, but because virtually overnight, it made AI and data science mainstream. Suddenly, AI and data science went from being seen as a nice-to-have by businesses to being a must-have. And now we've reached the point where demand for generative AI tools is so great that AI companies are having trouble sourcing the GPUs needed to train these technologies. However, while most of our listeners will have experience with generative AI tools as an end user, few will have had experience in actually building and marketing their own tool, which is something that you have done through your company, TeamSolve. So to begin with, Midasa, can you tell us a bit about what TeamSolve does, particularly in the generative AI space? Yeah, absolutely. So we come from, it's, a, it's almost like a 15 years long journey now in the sectors where we play, primarily water, energy, and commercial building sectors. And through the previous start of Vicenti, where was a, I was a co-founder, we started in Singapore and had the opportunity and the privilege of solving some of the pressing water loss and water security challenges for, for water utilities, PUB of Singapore and a lot of utilities here in Australia. So we did that very well. And even in that solution, we employed a lot of AI to be able to captured the data coming from the IoT devices deployed on a water network, crunched through the data, tried to understand the patterns of how the pipes are failing. So it was a lot of machine learning data science involved there. And then obviously the solution was de delivered to our clients through amazing dashboards where they can see what's happening, 24-7 alarms and all of that. So that was an amazing journey. But one thing we saw firsthand, a lot of operations when they happen in these sectors a lot of that knowledge sits in the heads of the people. There are things that sensors cannot see. There are things that any algorithm cannot predict. These are things which are happening on the ground. None of that was being captured. And eventually, if there is a massive pipe burst in the middle of the road, right, there's a traffic chaos, you deploy your crew to go and solve the problem, they struggle to find the right information, to find the right valve, that they need to shut off to shut off the, the 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 water geyser going up in the air. That we saw firsthand a lot of mistakes happen. Field teams, if they are even even get worse when they are inexperienced, when they go out, they make mistakes. Not because they don't know, just because they don't have the right information available on their fingertips. A lot of information in his, is hidden in the piles and piles of documents in the heads of the experts who have been there for the last 20, 30 years. They know how to do things but that is in their head. So when we started Team Solve early last year, we had this thing in our mind that this is one thing that needs to be solved, that this knowledge, which is human knowledge expressed as a human language, when the field teams, they go, they see things, they are not able to capture that in any meaningful way. What are they actually seeing? They have apps, they have different dashboards that they, they that they go through, but none of those tools allow them to accurately reflect what they actually saw in the field happening. So there is a gap in what we call the total operational knowledge. There is a gap in that knowledge that this tacit piece of information, which is either coming from experts or coming from the field observations, that is lost. But that is the information that powers a lot of successful operations. That is the key to unlocking efficiencies in the operations. So when we started TeamSolve, this, this was our vision to primarily pull together 
total operational knowledge of the organization, whether it is sitting in the piles of documents, whether it is in the databases, or whether it is in the heads of the experts, capture all that, learn from it, discover the insights, discover the mistakes, discover best practices from all that knowledge, and make that available to the field teams, not through complicated dashboards, but through a simple human conversation, like you and I having a conversation. Because the last thing when you are in the middle of a road in the traffic chaos that the water geyser is going up in the air, the last thing you want is a fancy dashboard. You want to know exactly where is that valve I need to go and shut. So that was the idea. Pull together all the information in one place, learn from it, continuously evolve that knowledge because operations keep on happening on a daily basis, keep on adding new knowledge into the system and the system we call Lily. And then bring Lily as an assistant or a co-pilot into the hands of every engineer, every operator, every manager in the organization that whether they're sitting in a cafe, they're sitting they're right in the middle of the operation, they can just ask the question and get back the response. And not just that, they can tell back Lily how are they solving the problems so Lily keeps learning and evolving. So that's in a nutshell where we landed. So Lily could be thought of as being a private domain specific equivalent of ChatGPT. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it. I would say it is more like an insights platform, which is basically delivered through a conversational interface, but it's a lot more to do with how it processes all the tacit information, which is unstructured information, or all the structured information, which is available in all the, all, all the databases and all that highly curated for the domain that you're working on. So exactly to your point, it's highly curated, highly targeted to the use cases that you're trying to solve. Because when you look at ChatGPT, for instance, you can go and ask a question, right? You get better, back a response. Where did it find the response? Whether the response is actually grounded in the domain or grounded in the truth or not, you don't know, you have no idea, right? Even to the extent we all know about the hallucinations, to the extent that you ask for it, hey, where is the source of this knowledge? And it gives you the sources just for you to discover none of that exists. It just made up, even the sources are made up, right? So the industries where we operate, the trust on AI is key to adoption. If those operators in the field cannot trust what Lily is telling them, they're never gonna use it. So Lily comes with a curated knowledge from the organization. It is use case driven. So it understands the domain concepts. It is powered by the domain of where it is operating. For example, for some of our customers where we are, we are helping them in such as replacing pipes. How, what is the optimal way to replace pipes, right? Should we replace this pipe or not? This is a very domain specific question that requires understanding of how these pipes operate. How do they fail? What are the different modalities of failures? So Lily is trained on those very specific use cases. It is powered by the knowledge that everybody knows what knowledge is going into Lily. So it's not a black box, it's a, it's a glass box. And then finally, and, and very critically, new knowledge coming in to Lily is provided as a base feature. So like in ChatGPT, you go on and you, you try to tell it something new. You have to go through a very long process of either fine tuning or prompt engineering and all of that. Whereas with Lily, that piece is part of the solution where you tell Lily on a daily basis, how are you solving the problems? Lily keeps learning from it. So the entire knowledge life cycle is included. So ChatGPT, I would say chat kind of interface is like one part, small part of it. Whereas Lily itself is a total domain specific platform to help you solve the specific use cases that are really your pain points. I know. ChatGPT makes use of LLMs or large language models. So does Lily also make use of those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, large language models, as you know, have really transformed. I mean, researchers have been working on large language models for a lot of, for, for a long time. It's not that just after ChatGPT we all came to know. So researchers have been working on large language models for a while, but nobody actually knew. The pu public actually did not know the, the impact. Since ChatGPT coming up in November last year, now we know the impact, right? ChatGPT picking up 100 million users in a span of two months. And then by now it is almost a billion users, a couple of billion users actually. 
compare that with TikTok that took about nine months to get to about 100 million users. So that's the impact that now everybody knows that LLM is something, right? So at the base, what LLM really allows to the systems such as ChatGPT and then obviously with, with Lily is it's a breakthrough technology that allows you to process human text, human language. That's what it allows you to process. And if you go back a little bit, what I mentioned in the beginning, a lot of operational knowledge in these industries is expressed as human language. And the problem is that human language uh, expressed information, it sits in the piles of documents. Nobody ever looks at them. Nobody ever learns from them. It's just humanly impossible. So now with the language models, we have an opportunity to apply the language models to go and learn from all that knowledge, which is humanly expressed. So a very quick primer, if, if you may say, on how these LLMs really operate is right. So basically, they, they basically wordsmith. They're trained to predict the next word. And that process is a very elaborate process. It starts with representing human words into some word vectors like numerical representations. And why do you need a numerical representation is because, for instance, if you look at a cat, a word cat and dog, the two words don't look similar at all, but they're pets, let's say, right? So they belong to one class. So if you can numerically represent them in such a way that the numbers that represent cat and dog are closer to each other, then numerically it is possible to see, oh, these two numbers are, are closer to each other, so they must be similar. So that's where the word vectors come in. They represent all those concepts, all those words into numerical vectors. But then you take from there and then you start to build a neural network. It puts all these words in an imaginary field where similar words are clustered around each other. And then you give a job to a neural network, which we call a transformer network, which basically, basically layers after layers after layers of neurons that try to make sense of looking at this field of all the words that try to make sense. If you give it a sentence, it tries to make sense what should be the next word given its similarity around its cluster. So this transformer is kind of layers and layers of neural network with each layer making a lot better sense of the sentence. Like for example, ChatGPT has about 96 of these layers. So it all came from that Google's 2017 paper on attention is all you need. So that's what the transformers do. They, they try to put attention on the specific words and learn from that to predict the next one. So as you can imagine, what you really need for this is a lot of words. Right? You need to fill that imaginary space with a lot of words so that, so that the transformers can really learn how in different ways, same word can be used in different ways. So if I say, for example, Sydney Harbor Bridge was completed in 1932, that's one sentence. And then I say, we need to bridge a gap in our understanding of LLM. So the word bridge in both sentences, it's the same word, but it has totally different meanings. So that's where comes a training part. So we have words, we have transformers, but then you need a lots and lots of training data to fill up this imaginary space as much as you can. For instance, ChatGPT, again, the GPT model, it is, I, th I think it's about half a billion gigabytes of textual data that was used to construct its imaginary space from where, where it's learning. So that's where, just going back to the point that you made about Lily using LLM, so in these vertical industries where we operate, water, energy, the challenge is you do not have a lot of good data available to really construct a very good high-performance language model that can answer a lot of your questions straight away. You just don't have enough data to, to train a language model. So Lily uses language models capabilities because it is able to understand human language. So if an operator in the field says, hey, Lily, I fixed this pump by changing such and such component. So if somebody says this, we bring this to a language model. And language model dissects this entire sentence and helps us understand what are the concepts, what are the different things this user is talking about. So it pulls that out. But then that information is taken out, not kept in the language model, that is taken out into what we call a knowledge graph which basically constructs, it's a representation of all the assets and operations and the learnings that which are happening in the organization 
So this dissected sentence is taken and then it is put in the right place in the graph, wherever it fits. And that starts to build the entire knowledge picture of the organization. That's very interesting. Yeah. So the advantage of this is now we are not limited by that we need a lot of these sentences coming from these operators that we, do, we don't need like thousand statements from these operators to train our language model. Like when somebody asks the question, next time an operator goes to the field and they ask the question, hey, lady, this pump is not working. What should I do? We are not limited that, oh, we only have one such example from the from before. The language model is limited, but our knowledge graph is not limited. So the system hits the knowledge graph. Machine learning happens on the graph. It learns, it picks up. Mm, so this is the best, this is the right way to do it. And then it is fed back into the language model to generate a human-like answer. So it's the generative capabilities of the language model, which are employed to have an effective conversation with the user. But then a lot of learnings, a lot of insights, discovery, machine learning happens outside the language model. So it's it's a, so that's why it's slightly different from how the chat GPT operates, but it is it pulls together. It's a hybrid approach, I would say. This is really interesting because earlier in the year, I had an episode where I interviewed Alessandro Negro about knowledge graphs. And one of the things we were talking about then was ChatGPT and also how knowledge graphs can be used for similar purposes. And what you're giving now is a actual real life example of what he was talking about in his episode. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the limitations. Look, at the very base, a language model is a transformer neural network, which is very well trained to pick up patterns. It is very well trained to do predictions. That's the power of language model that we are using in Lily. Not so much its text generation capabilities and not so much its capabilities to write an essay and all of that. So that in itself is, is a very powerful feature. But then because we know the limitations in the industries where we operate in the industrial sector, we just don't have a lot of good data. I mean, if you look at how OpenAI and, and all of the, the companies which are building the foundational models, if you look at how much investment is going in, in building a language model from scratch, I mean, a thousand NVIDIA GPUs employed by OpenAI to train a language model, construct the GPT, it's just impossible for a water utility, for example, to do the same right? It's just not never going to happen. One, you just don't have enough data. And two, you just don't have enough money and resources to deploy. So that's where our approach is a hybrid approach that we can still, this industry can still benefit from the power of a language model. So you take away all the pains of, number one, all that tacit information, expert knowledge is now buried. We don't know what to do about this. No, now we can do a lot about it. Now we can really pick up all the insights from it because language model can understand all that as long as expressed in a language that the language model can work with. So one, we can start to learn from all of that. And two, the insights can now be delivered through a human conversation. You don't have to worry about those complicated dashboards. And I mean, I saw a picture from one of the water utilities. They had this field operation going on. And there was a, in the, in the picture, there was a van and the, the back door of the van was open. And there was a guy sitting in the, on the backside of the van and had about, I think, seven or eight screens in the van be, be, beside him. And I can imagine what this poor guy is doing. He's basically trying to keep an eye on every little graph, every little GIS map, which is related to that operation which is going on. And I was thinking, how many more screens are we going to fit into this van? That's just not the way. This is just so not productive. So LLM have really come in to revolutionize how the operations, how the information is captured and delivered in, in an operational setting. Going back to what you were saying before, I agree with you that it takes massive quantities of data and uh, resources to train an LLM. With the LLMs that you're using for Lily, I'm assuming you're not training them from scratch. Is that correct? No, no. So is it some sort of transfer learning type approach? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a few different LLMs are employed in our system because different language models are trained on very specific tasks, right? Some, some are trained for good text generation. Some are trained for good 
intent detection, what the user is really trying to trying to ask. Some are trained for for very good classification. So, and also there are cost implications as well. So some language models are available as a service. So you, every time you use it, you have to pay for it. And some language models, which are not large language models, like a small language models, which are not trained on a very massive corpus, but they have enough power to be able to be fine-tuned for your specific task. So what we, in our architecture, is we employ an ensemble of those language models. So for some cases where the data is not sensitive, some of the service uh, language models which are available as a service might be, might be used, of course, with agreements with our customers. But for a lot of other tasks, we will be fine-tuning existing small language models, like you have Burp, you have Flan T5, some of those smaller models are fine-tuned for doing very specific tasks that really requires through the process of knowledge capture, knowledge understanding, knowledge classification, and learning insights. And given that they're smaller models, I'm assuming they take a lot less data to fine-tune than something like GPT-4 would take. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, you can you can imagine it's a, it's a if a model is smaller, if it's a small model, it's not pre-trained on a lot of data. It means every new piece of information you put in will have a bigger impact, as opposed to ChatGPT, for example. Three hundred billion trillion calculations were done to train its entire model. One hundred seventy-five billion weights, all pre-trained. So imagine. If we have a small use case where one of our customers requires the power of a language model to help them maintain their treatment plants, and they got 60 treatment plants, the data from these 60 treatment plants will be like peanuts as compared to what's already in the model, right? So you will have to generate examples after examples, examples and variations after variations after variations to have some impact. And then obviously there are limitations on it's very expensive to fine tune such massive models. It takes a lot of time. So if there are day-to-day operations happening, there's no way that that data can be fed into the language model, model fine-tuned, and then tomorrow you will have the results available for the next operation. There is no such guarantee because it just takes massive amount of time and money and it just can't be real time. So that's where these smaller models come very handy. They're not, their scope, their the parameter set is small. You can fine-tune them, and every fine-tune you do, it is impactful. Did you start building Lily before or after the release of ChatGPT? Yeah, we actually, so we, we were having quite a joke uh, about this. So we started January 2022. That's when we started TeamSol. And then, obviously, we started brainstorming, and some of the initial versions of Lily were already put in place with some earlier cognitive systems and libraries which are available pre-ChatGPT. Obviously, we started as a startup. We had to go and find customers. So we started talking about that mode of interaction and what what was possible to some of the earlier potential customers. And they were all scratching their head. Mm, We don't know what you're talking about. And then November comes, ChatGPT comes out, and suddenly everybody knows what Lily is all about. Suddenly, everybody knows. So <laughs> obviously, some of the arch- we have, after ChatGPT, we have had some tremendous architectural enhancements because of the framework availability of a lot of new frameworks. So that has fast-tracked a lot of development for us. But development of Lily started, and this concept of using cognitive capabilities to process human knowledge and learn from it, that started way back. So we, we were just kind of saying, okay, thanks, ChatGPT. You really helped to, to spread the message and helping our customer base to really understand the, what's possible. Well, even with things that aren't as sophisticated as something like Lily, before ChatGPT, you had people saying, we don't even want to do anything that's more sophisticated than you know, basic Excel type conf- calculations, you know, we yeah. will never get to AI because that's beyond us. And then suddenly you've got people who are in industries that you would not imagine using AI going over to it. It's incredible. Exactly, exactly. And and we are so like very positively surprised when we started talking to these customers, and especially after ChatGPT, it was like, to be honest, the biggest trend we are seeing is at the management level, at the top levels, there is an appreciation of what is possible, 
there is an understanding at the top level uh, of the benefits and the risks. So a lot of managers, a lot of C-suite, uh, the leadership in our target customer base, they are talking about that, yes, they need it, but with, with a proper fine-tuning, with a proper understanding of the risks involved, the actual user base where whether it's the planning teams who are going to use such systems to plan for, they want the system to process a lot of information they already have, and then they want to ask, start to ask questions, discover all the insights, or it is the field teams who are actually going out on a day-to-day -day basis who normally are difficult to adopt any digital tool. And you bring an AI to them and they will say, oh my God, what, what is it, right? So that group of users we are seeing is taking a little time, is, is taking their time to get to gel with this concept that instead of going through dashboards and through complicated menu systems, now they can just ask a co-pilot in their pocket. They just ask a question, they get back the response. And should they trust that response and do what, what Lily is telling them? Uh, and that's where the explainability and the trust factor comes in, which we have baked in our system from day one, explainability. When Lily tells you something, and if you're not sure, you can ask back, hey, Lily, why do you say so? And Lily goes back and then explains. So that helps with the, potentially that helps with the adoption. But look, what we see is a lot of technology adoption happens top down in a lot of these organizations. So we have seen through COVID, in one country, they put cameras in the, in the vans, in the fleet, vans so that when these people are going out doing their job, the cameras will monitor, are they wearing masks or not? So that's top down, right? And then in another, in another place, we see uh, another company, they implanted implanting chips in the, in the thumbs of their employees to track and basically apparently saying that now you can just, you don't have to swipe any card or no retina scans. You just come in and your chip in your in your hand will be will be automatically scanned and you can come in and out. You don't need to log in and log out anymore. But that's that's tracking, right? So we see that a lot of technology adoption is top down. But over the last fifteen ish years, with the previous startup, we have really worked hands in hands with the field teams, with the middle management who are actually the drivers who actually go and use these technologies. So we have learned that this group of people, you really need to work with them, hold hands, get them to adopt, get them to understand and appreciate how this technology in the first instance is beneficial for themselves and then for the organization. And that's where, while the organization help them with the top down, we are working bottom up to, to help with the adoption. So interesting trends and interesting behaviors we're seeing uh, AI. Out of interest, with that example you gave of the people with the chips put in their hands, was that in yeah. Australia or another country? In the US. In the US, really? In the US. And the way it was done was like, I just can't get my head around it. They organized some party and they, they invited all the employees there and they say, it's a party and what we're going to do, it's a volunteer basis, come forward and we'll implant this chip in your <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, not sure about about the way the, these top-down approaches are implemented. That's incredible because I remember, you know, when with the COVID vaccines, one of the conspiracy theories that was going around was that mm. it was a secret conspiracy to embed tracking chips in people and I think Bill Gates was behind <laughs> it or something. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what I'm thinking of there and yet, it sounds like in your example, people were voluntarily signing yeah. up for the tracking chips. Right, wow. right. Yeah. So so while on one side, the privacy that the systems such as ChatGPT and all of these systems, they're going to monitor us on a day-to-day -day basis, whatever we talk to them. Like when we, when we listen to OpenAI and all the narratives, that they did not go back in the lab and just kept working and came out with GPT-7 in one go. They came with GPT-2, then GPT-3, and GPT-4. And the primary reason is they want a lot of public feedback. 
they want to see that adoption going through. So I think that public engagement is really, really critical. And that's going to take time, but it's just inevitable. Going back to the privacy issue, I'm guessing that's that's something that's of concern to a lot of your clients. And I'm sure pretty much everyone would have raised that. When you're training Lily, do you have a separate partitioned version of Lily for each of your clients? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the data from one customer stays with that customer. They own the data. And when we train our models, the knowledge graphs and and the, and the language models, that all stays for that customer. It is not shared across. So, so that privacy is, is top concern. Obviously, when we work with the customers, they tell us, they give us the data that they are comfortable with in bringing into Lily. So they identify the use cases, they bring the data, and Lily is trained on that. So that, that's taken care of. Obviously, the, the, the other concerns on this, the data, how good that data is, is that of any user not, right? So that's something that is that is uh, tackled at the onset of uh, when we train. So whether such learnings, when a language model in a certain country has learned some best practices that a water utility A has such and such best practices, whether those learnings can be brought to some of the smaller water utilities who cannot afford to deploy tens of thousands of sensors or engage very expensive consultants, can we really help those smaller councils and smaller water utilities to leapfrog in the way they operate their water networks by using the learnings from the larger utilities in the region, that is something really on our mind that we are trying to find a model whereby the learnings, which are not customer-specific learnings, but the learnings how to fix a certain pump or when a pipe breaks, what are the best practices how to solve it, not which specific pipe, right? When a certain when a flood happens, what are the best ways to in a in a response scenario, right? And we take those learnings and construct a language model which is fine-tuned with these learnings and brought to the masses, which is small water utilities or small SMEs who just cannot afford. So affordability is is a key thing on our mind at TeamSolve. And that's something we're working with some of our larger customers to figure out how can we share share that knowledge because now with the language models, that is really, really possible. We can share all that knowledge. What are the modalities? That's something still being figured out. Okay. Yeah, that's good because yeah, I was thinking about that and I was thinking there's so much knowledge that you're gathering there and if everything is purely partitioned, you're going to mm. disadvantage everyone. Yeah, I think it would be opportunity lost, I would say. And the good news is we do see amalgamations happening across the industry. So we do see, for example, in New Zealand, in the water industry specifically, there is a reform where there, there is an amalgamation happening with the 65 water utilities or so. So what would that mean? That knowledge will be shared across. There will be a pathway from a regulatory perspective or the way the water sector is organized in that country, there will definitely be a pathway that knowledge can be shared across water utilities. And we are seeing similar trends here in Australia, similar trends in other Southeast Asian countries and beyond. So we are very hopeful that some of these regulatory pressures will push the industry towards knowledge sharing. And that's where technologies such as Lily will be will be ready with, with all that, with all those learnings. I would imagine it would also help that most water utilities are government organisations and you tend to only have one water utility in a particular region. So it's not like with commercial enterprises where you've got multiple people in the same space directly competing. You mean... Um... If you, if you just rephrase the question. So, for example, in Australia, in Melbourne, the whole of Melbourne is divided up into areas and you've only Correct. got a single water utility servicing each particular area. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so right. uh, north, south, east, west, etc. Yeah. And so because you don't have, say, two competing utilities in a particular area, there'd be less fear of, one organization sharing 
information with another because it's not like they can poach customers from each other. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And and that really enables, that kind of demarcation really enables them to be able to share higher level insights with each other. Because one thing we have observed in these industrial sectors is digital adoption is everybody wants to learn from each other. And that's why we see forums such as SWAN and some of the other, other conferences happening across the world where these utilities want to come together. These organizations, they do want to come together. They do want to learn from each other's findings. Okay, you have deployed, for example, such and such 100,000 of smart meters. What were your learnings? What did you find, right? So there is an already demand for knowledge sharing across the industry. It's just that the, the enabling regulatory pressure and the structural organization of how these organizations are structured within a country or within a region it's just moving in a very positive direction where sharing knowledge across the board will, will become far more easier as opposed to, for example, which was a few years ago. A while back, you were talking about how many of your customers already have dashboards in place and you have to convince the people working in the field that they should shift away from those dashboards to tools like Lily. How do you convince them? So we are, we are finally are having some very interesting experiences. So one of our customers, one of the field staff, he went he went away on a vacation. And during that time, we have been training Lily. The person had seen one or two versions of Lily, and then he went away. So we were still, still training. And the person went away, I, th- I think, three or four weeks and came back. And obviously, in that time, we had added a lot more features into Lily and interaction. And then the person was sent out to, to do an operation in the field to fix to fix a site. And the person under the site and had Lily on the mobile phone and and actually thought for a second, what do I do? <laughs> how do I talk to Lily? So it was zero training. The person, we never told this person how to use Lily. So the person just, just went on like a normal conversation. Hey, Lily, I'm here. What do I need to know? There you go. Conversation started. And then the person was helped along the way. So these are some very positive feedbacks coming from those field teams that with zero training, that they are able to come up to speed and they are able to do their job. They don't have to really remember now where to click, where was that drop-down menu, but that's obviously one class. There's another class which are like slightly older, older age people who are not already not tech savvy. So they already hated all the complicated dashboards, all the graphs and everything. And chatting away in our lives has just become a norm, right? Day in and day out, we chat with our parents and kids and grand- grandchildren and everybody. So even these older technicians or older people, when they have really as a chat on, the, on their phone, it's no difference than them having a WhatsApp conversation with some other person, right? So even for them, they will maybe hesitate for a little bit should I say something? Is, is that going to offend Lily or what? What should I say? And then they just did the say it and just it just go picks up from there. So we're not seeing a lot of pushback or a lot of difficulty from those people who are already frustrated with all those complicated dashboards. So we are seeing a lot better traction, a lot better acceptance at that level. The challenge that we are seeing is with kind of like the back office people who are used to looking at fancy charts and fancy graphs and they're used to be looking at big screens and they're used to that way of working. And for them to change that now, look, you used to look at a graph of, let's say you, you want to see, okay, you want to see the performance, let's say the, the, the water loss is in a certain area, right? So you, you are used looking at a map and that map has all the different regions color coded and the one which is red is the one which is which has lo- mo- the most losses. So you are used to this way of looking at the full map and spotting the red one, and you say, ah, this was the one. this is the one. Now change the way. Now you don't have to look at the graph, look at the map. You say, hey, Lily, tell me which which region is most uh, problematic from water losses perspective, and boom, Lily picks up that one region. And now they're saying, uh, is it correct? How does it compare with the rest? It's just a different modality. But this thing, we also understand the need because, and I think that's another aspect of working with kind of chat GPT and, and all the other things. And I have experienced this firsthand, that when you ask a question, 
when you're looking for news articles, right? What's happening in the world? And there, let's say there is there is an event happening, and let's say there is a U.S. Open Tennis Championship going on, and you want to see what's happening. You ask Microsoft Bing, which is now connected to ChatGPT, and it is updated latest information. You ask a question, it gives you a summary. Now, how that summary is constructed may have a bias in it because it is trained by people. AI is not going on its own journey, right? Some people are crafting the designing the neural networks behind it. So that summary comes out. Whereas in the olden days of searching on Google, I'll go into Google, I'll type the US Open 2023, everything comes out and I can just glance through, look at all the scores. I will be much, I will have a much richer experience of the information I will get as opposed to asking Bing a question and Bing just giving me just one little snippet. So that's the thing that we are facing on the back office people that when they get a simple answer from systems such as Lily, they kind of feel that they're missing the full context, that what is everything else happening in the network view? I want to be, we want to be able to see all that. So the way that thing is being cracked is Lily integrating with existing legacy systems, tightly integrating. So for example, if you use Power BI for your dashboards, where you want to see the fancy dashboards, the difference now is your Power BI will connect to Lily instead of you connecting to Lily. So you, your Power BI connects to Lily, Lily gives the, the right insights to Power BI and Power BI projects that on your traditional dashboards. So it just changes that the AI is now in the within the ecosystem, it is in the mix, it is powering your existing data analytics tools, your existing dashboarding tools. So you can still look at your dashboards, but those now those dashboards are powered by systems such as, such as Lily's AI and the language models. And that makes it easier for people to accept and adopt a tool such as Lily. Yeah, that, that eases the, the transition because I can imagine if a technician or if a, if a command center person who, who used to be looking at those complicated dashboards and still loves those dashboards <laughs> goes out for a lunch and is sitting in a, on a lunch and gets a message from his boss Hey, John, or hey, Mudassar, which region has, has most of the losses? I need this answer in the next two minutes. This person now will be just able to pick up the phone. Hey, Lily, which region has the losses? Lily gives the answer. The person does the job. Boss is happy. I'm happy. I can go back and look at my dashboards. But I think this will ease that, that transition slowly. How did you come up with the name Lily? Is it an acronym or is it just you like the name? Yeah, there is, a, there is a story behind it. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of these uh, artificial these systems, the AI systems, they, they typically you have Siri, you have Alexa. So we, we started this in Singapore. So in that community, Lily is, Lily is, is quite a common name. Yeah, so just, just picked up a name. Just, just sounds different, sounds good, sounds, <laughs> sounds nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we did, we did brainstorm on quite a lot of, lot of ideas, a lot of names. But we are talking to some of the other customers and some customers want to want to have their own names. So like in Malaysia, for example, we were having a joke with one of the customers. They want to name it like City. City is like a, a common name there. Yeah. So we're not really tied to the name. It could change uh, yeah, where it goes. Do you have to say, hey, Lily, do this like you would with something like Alexa or Siri? Or can you just say, do this? Yeah, so Lily is added, if you are using Lily on, let's say, your messaging platform like WhatsApp or Microsoft Teams, that's where you can access Lily. So Lily is added as a contact, just like you can add me as a contact. So anytime you want to talk to me, you just open my, my, my contact where you have all the conversations and you just, just start talking to me. There are some, future, some features that we are working on where Lily can sit in a group conversation. Imagine you are in a command center and Lily is sitting in the command center as your virtual operator. And you are having, there is an emergency happening. You're doing an emergency response. There are six or seven people in the command center, Lily being one of those. And now if you want to talk to Lily and you want some answer, you don't want Lily to be listening, to be answering everybody's everybody because I'm talking to you, you're talking to me. Yeah. So in that case, you will say, hey, Lily, what do you think about this? Yeah, those are some of the future things we are working on. And yeah, I, I was just thinking back to how some people wanted to rename Lily. I could imagine if you had a company where a senior executive had the name Lily, you could have some problems there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's where the, the transformer models come really handy because the, trans, the, the base of the transformer transform model is the attention, which helps it to respond based on the context. So, so that context hopefully will help in Lily not jumping in when you're talking about another Lily. Yeah. And where do you see all this generative AI and large language model and language technology heading in the near future? I think the key milestone that we see the organizations will, will take in the, in the next, I would say, few years is a lot in the, in, the, in the direction they will gain a lot of trust in AI, powered specifically by the language models, to the extent where I see that where currently they might be using it in a way it is more of a recommendation system. So you ask a question, you get back the answer, right? Or you just tell it what you're doing and it, it captures it. But then I see this moving more towards organizations giving it a little bit, little bit more control of making taking decisions. So one simple example is, let's say you're in a command center and there are tons and floods of alarms coming on your screen. And you're not sure what are all these alarms. So now in today's world, you would say, hey, Lily, I have this alarm. What do you think? What do I do? Should I dispatch the crew or not? So Lily will go and assess and tells you, no, you don't have to dispatch the crew because of X, Y, Z features. Or Lily would say, yes, dispatch the crew immediately because it's a, it's a massive issue. So that's the today's world. In the next few years, I see this where, you t where the, these customers allowing Lily and allowing these AI systems to actually take the decision and dispatch the crew because they would have gained a lot more confidence and, the tr and trust in the capabilities that the recommendations coming from such systems are, are on par with what a human expert would have already been, uh, been taking. I think AI in general and specifically generative AI is already going, I think, leaps and bounds in some of the other like healthcare areas. I was just, yesterday I was looking at like Google DeepMind just released their research note where now their system is able to look at the sequences of the letters in the human genome to detect which letters are out of sequence, which will lead to the proteins being forming in the not right way. So again, it is going through the, the sequence of characters in the human, human genome and spotting the disease sections. This is going to just continue. And it's, I think, with the regulations coming in and with, with a lot of trust building up, it's, it's, it's just will transform the society you know, leaps and bounds. So it sounds like you're very positive about this. Do you have any concerns about where all this is heading? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely not in the camp of the Skynet kind of things where, <laughs> yeah, where you have somebody sitting out there and they're trying, trying to manipulate, manipulate everything. I think a lot of us tend to think that this AI is running its own course and it has gone uncontrolled. And that's not true. There are only a bunch of people in the world who are dumping billions of dollars on the development of AI. So AI development is very guided and controlled by humans. So I think the, the only risk I see is who are those humans? What are their intentions? So as long as the intentions are right of the group of people who are making investments, I think they're okay. And the, the other flip side of this, I would say the biases, the, the data which is being fed to the systems, making those data sets more neutral will remove the biases. I was just looking at one example. Somebody asked a question to AI, I think it was, chat GPT as well, you take a doctor, subtract man plus woman, right? What do you get? If the answer is nurse, that's a bias, right? Because why, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so those data sets, making those data sets neutral, that will help. Obviously, a lot of concerns around the job losses, like ChatGPT passing 90% on the on the on the bar exam and doing perfect on the SAT math tests and all of that. That's okay. I think it's gonna definitely displace jobs. If it displaces in a matter of single digit years, that's a concern. But if it displaces on the matter of double digit years, I think it's okay. That has happened through the history of the mankind anyway. New technologies come in, new jobs come in. So um, yeah, so I'm quite positive in the in the direction as long as we control it well. I would agree with what you say about the job displacement, because as long as it doesn't happen too fast, if the new jobs being created increase at a rate faster than the job losses, then there's no problem at all. Right, right. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and you would have seen that with the invention of the automobile. It would have displaced a lot of jobs with regard to horses, but it created a lot of new jobs like cab drivers, for example. Right. Yeah. A few decades ago, nobody would know the software engineer is a job and nobody would even cannot, cannot, cannot even think about it. And I think uh, a few, probably a decade, a couple of decades later, some people say, oh, software engineer used to be a job. <laughs> so these displacements are happening, but changes uh, that has kept us all going. And um, yeah, I'm not worried about that. So what final advice would you give to data scientists looking to create business value from data? I think any business value, it stems from the realization of either you understand the pain point that what you're solving, or there is a possibility that you have discovered and that that's what you are able to to spell out very well. So as long as the data science community grounds the research in the pain points has a has a business value to to someone to to a utility or to an organization as long as the pain points are identified or you have such an amazing thing that you're building and you know the new possibilities i think iphone is a classic example of these new possibilities before iphone we never thought that's a pain point that we needed an iphone nobody had that pain point but now can you live without an iphone kind of device i'm not sure about that right so Either you have discovered a pain point or you have discovered a possibility. In both cases, if you are able to do one or two, the business value will be created. But then I also want, want to highlight that thinking outside the box will also come very handy. I mean, I come from a, a PhD background and we have a certain way of doing things. I think sometimes thinking out, outside the box and leveraging on different models which are available as a service and fast tracking your research sometimes goes leaps and bounds in generating value. So for example, what I was what I was telling before that not thinking that large language models are primarily you just use it for writing a, an email or writing text. Think about it. These are basically transformer models available as a service. What can you do with these models? Don't don't think about that these are chat GPD kind of things. You have a transformer model neural network available as a service to you. Can you utilize this for pattern matching? Can you utilize this for identifying similarities, classifications, fast tracking your research? So thinking outside the box on the generative AI landscape and really grounding your research into the pain points and possibilities, I think that will generate value faster. For listeners who want to learn more about you or get in contact, what can they do? Yeah, so my LinkedIn profile, I think you can just go on LinkedIn, search for Madasar Iqbal, my name, and uh, I should come up. And my email address, mudasar at teamsolve.com. Very happy to connect with anybody who wants to and uh, would love to learn. There is a lot of possibilities here. There is a lot that we're still learning. These are really early early days for AI slash generative AI. So uh, we'd love to engage in more conversations with anybody who's interested. And yeah, let's, let's do this together. Okay. So thank you for joining me today. Excellent. No, thank you, Genevieve. This was a fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And for those in the audience, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and this has been Value Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting.